So our students um, were really disappointed that we weren't going to be able to have a track season. Um, so we came up with the idea to do a mud run. Good afternoon, good evening. This is What's New in Adaptive Physical Education, and this is your host, Scott McNamara. I'm really excited to be bringing you the fifth episode so far in What's New in APE, and I'm really enjoying all the um, topics that we're going over, all the guests we've had so far last week. Um, to kind of go over again, uh, from last week, we had Tanner Gears on a uh, gold medalist for the Paralympics, um, and if you remember from last week, Tanner was talking about trying to get P baseball to the Paralympic level. From that podcast, myself and my board of directors for uh, Camp Abilities Michigan, which is a sports camp for kids with visual impairments, um, are in on that conversation now, trying to get B baseball, put some clinics on in Michigan through the National Beatball Association. So just uh, you know, a quick reminder that if you know anybody that has a visual impairment and may be interested in playing some beat baseball, um, if there's not already a team up nearby, there should be shortly because that is their goal is to get a team in every state and hopefully um, have some type of central place for them to go and play. So with that, uh, I'm going to be, I want to introduce my guest Matthew today, Meskel. from Maryland School for the Blind, and he's an APE teacher from there, and we're really, really excited to have him here today, and he's on here, he's going to talk a little bit about individualized planning for kids with disabilities, uh, coming up with that curriculum for them, and then also making sure that they're staying active after school. And I think that can mean a lot of different things because one of our major priorities in PE and APE is to make sure that they live a healthy lifestyle more than just, um, you know, being active during the day. So we want to teach them those tools. And Matthew's here to kind of talk about that for us a little bit. So how are you doing, Matt? Doing very well. Thank you, Scott. Very cool. Um, So before I get started, though... um, you teach at a school for the blind completely, correct? Correct. Okay. And um, I have two questions. What are the qualifications for a kid to get in that school versus a public or another public school that isn't, um, you know, just for kids with visual impairments? Sure. So to qualify for our school, the students must have a a visual impairment of some sort, so that's that's based on visual acuity. Um, and then also, if they have a, an additional disability, um, they can also qualify. But visual impairment is is uh, required. They qualify for our school when it's recommended by their local school districts. So local school districts in Maryland have amazing services that. Um, that are geared towards their vision needs as far as TBIs and O&Ms, um, Braille services. But when we see a significant um, need for a service, whether it be ADL skills, Braille skills, um, or travel skills, then they can qualify um, for our school. And our goal, once we receive a student at our school, 
is to give them those services that they need and then get them back to their original school districts. Very nice. Um, and then my, my next question about your school specifically is something that we were talking about right before here and was kind of the topic of our last uh, episode was on beat baseball. You said that you kind of got a really nice set of new field. Correct, correct. So we're very excited this year um, using it for the first time. We got a brand new track and field, and inside that track uh, is a beat baseball diamond uh, that is turf infield along with turf uh, paths to run on, so that 100 feet that you need to run to the base, um, with a beautiful Kentucky blue outfield that is manicured perfectly, um, that sits perfectly in the, the, the backdrop of our, our beautiful 100-acre campus in Baltimore, Maryland. And so we're, we're very fortunate to have that field with the help of Cal Ripken uh, Sr. to, to donate, donate that money to us to allow for our students to have that facility. That's really, really impressive. I want to yeah. see it myself, actually, because beat baseball is one of my favorite sports. Um, that's really cool. I would really like to come out and see that. All right, I want to learn a little bit more about Matthew now. And so, you know, you're in the field of adaptive physical education, and anyone that's in this field of adaptive physical education know that it's a pretty small field. And so I want to know, how did you come to become an APE teacher? Um, so I was going for my undergraduate at, at SUNY Brockport um, up in New York, uh, studying just general physical education, and I was also getting another degree in health. Um, and I had to take an adaptive phys ed course where I had to do uh, a few things, a couple of hours. You know, it was called a swim and gym where you get hands-on experience with, with some of the students and develop an individual plan for them. So that was my first taste. Then I had a, a master's student teaching our advanced volleyball class. And um, I thought he was a pretty crazy guy. Who was a, he was a good teacher, you know, teaching advanced volleyball. Um, but he was going for his master's in adaptive phys ed. And he had, at the end of the semester, proposed the uh, question of who wanted to drive to Alaska with him. Um, so I thought nobody else was, was responding, so I kind of felt bad, so I said I would go. So not knowing too much of him or, or not knowing him that well, we planned this trip together uh, that took us uh, 14,253 miles across the country uh, to different schools for the blind, to different um, schools and colleges. And promoting this thing called Campabilities, which I, I didn't know too much about. Um, but it was a one-week developmental sports camp for uh, children with visual impairments. Um, so we finally got to Alaska, did the camp, and that's when I was hooked. Uh, working with kids who are, who are visually impaired um, up there in Alaska. So one, one thing, you're surrounded by beauty of Alaska, but then and you're inspired by that. But then just to, to be able to work with these kids and... and um, my, my thought was if, if I can teach a student who is blind or visually impaired, that's going to make me a better teacher overall because the way you have to teach somebody who is blind or visually impaired is, is so different and you have to think things through more and you just can't use a simple demonstration. You have to use tactile modeling. You have to use your words wisely. Um, and these kids wanted to learn. There was this need, this want to learn all of these sports and games so I was just hooked on that. So we returned back to school the following semester, really motivated, um, got an internship at the Perkins School for the Blind, spent about three months living there, working with uh, some amazing adaptive phys ed teachers there, Matt LaCordiella, uh, Mike Pergala, um, 
really good guys there. Um, and kind of just thought, you know, like, I, I, I can be one of these guys. I can be with them. I like what they were doing. I like their attitudes. And if you're an APA, APE, you know we have a different mindset. We're kind of a different breed of people. So it just it fit. Uh, so continued to go to Alaska for the next five years, uh, helping run that camp up there with, with uh, Dr. Justin Hagel. He was the guy who I went with the road trip with. We ended up driving uh, one more time up together and uh, became best friends after that road trip. Uh, so now he's teaching APE. Yeah, after that, doing camps, um, running programs up in uh, Connecticut with Robin Keating, who was, a, who was the director of the vision services up there in Connecticut, um, doing other camps for the blind or uh, for sports uh, with kids with visual impairments who are blind. Um, and just getting as much hands-on experience as I could um, and just learning as much as I could, but really just enjoying myself, loving loving every second of it, and then developing friendships and relationships with people who are uh, running these things and the students. Um, so went to school uh, for the blind in Maryland, needed a, a deputy physical teacher. I put my, my name in the hat and was fortunate enough and blessed enough to be able to take that position. You're bringing up Campabilities, and you are a part of Campabilities Maryland. And we had Brad on earlier, uh, who was the old executive director, and I'm the executive director still of Campabilities Michigan. So, you know, that Campabilities piece is definitely, it's a connector, and there's a lot of it going on. And uh, you said SUNY Brockport, which is where you went, and that's, you know, where it all started. So I just want to also, you know, point out that it's a really great program, and I believe in late October there's a uh, documentary coming out for Campabilities on HBO, so that's going to be pretty exciting as well. Yeah, absolutely, and, and I think part of uh, Dr. Lauren Lieberman's mission when creating this camp was not only to provide opportunities for their um, students who are blind or vision impaired, but also give that experience to up-and-coming professionals and giving them the experience to teach students and to see what that's done for not only myself, but uh, so many other people that I know who, who now do it for a living and are loving it. Um, I mean, it speaks volumes of the camp. It's just done so much, so I'm proud to be a part of it for sure. And Brad has done an amazing job at, at Maryland. Um, and so now we're, we're lucky the Maryland School for the Blind is, is graciously taken over that camp too. Um, so going into our second year this year, we're doing the same thing, getting other professionals in the field, um, giving them a taste of what it's like to, to work with these students. And Very good. All right. Man, I want to talk about, you know, individualized planning in our field. Um, you know, that's part of the special education curriculum. You know, mattering doesn't really matter if they're struggling in math or APE or whatever. We have to individually design a curriculum a lot of times for our kids. Um, so I want to know what an individualized plan is for, for you in your school. What does that mean to you? Um, it could mean so many different things. Our school is very diverse. Um, we have four different programs at our school. One is an academic program where kids will get high school diplomas. One will be, um, it's called functional academics, where they'll learn job skills. And then we have multiple, dis uh, multiple and severe disabilities. And then we also have blind autism. So within these four different programs, creating an individualized curriculum that fits the need of those students was one of the bigger challenges for my coworker, uh, Beverly Marhethka. Um, and I, 
Um, when we got there, there was no curriculum. Phys Ed was kind of swept under the rug. So we really had to assess what these students need and what not only what they need, but what can they do already. And each program was so different from the other. Um, so as far as building a program for one of the programs, inside of that too, then you had just a diverse need from that those students. So, and each year is different. Each student is different. So just creating something that was, was broad and then really just having a lot of different scaffolding and different differential um, opportunities for these students it was really important. So we, we create things broadly um, and really assess each class year by year and then specifically put in different goals and objectives that we want to meet for that year for that individual class or student or program. Individualized planning, I mean, it really should be a part of just education but it's really, really, you know, um, talked about a lot in special education. So how is individualized planning in your eyes, how is that different in a PE setting versus in a math or English setting? What is, how is that different? I think it's different just because we can provide a different atmosphere. Uh, we can provide different equipment, different settings. Um, we're not just sitting in front of a desk and putting something down in front of them. We're actually asking them to access their environment, access the, their preference of equipment or activity or level of activity. And so the diversity of what a physical education class can be is just so extreme. You can have these spectrums of, of different challenges, um, different pieces of equipment, different sizes of of environments and we really can control that as much as we want or as little as we need to allow our students to experience a bit of success and we can create success and measure it in any capacity and then give them that confidence that the student will need um, and then build on that and then allow them to accept more more challenging tasks as we go um, and through that challenge we are creating learning and, and giving them the experience that they need to, to take on a challenge. And those skills then can be transferred to the classrooms, hopefully. Um, but that's, that's not something that's easily done in a classroom. It's more easily done in a gym, I believe, or wherever you're teaching your, your phys ed classes. Definitely. There's a lot more ability for um, those problem-solving or uh, cooperative games and like you said, like self-esteem and stuff, absolutely, um, when it's taught in the right way, which sounds like you're doing a very nice job of that. What type of units are being taught in a class for kids with visual impairments? Well, we try very hard to stick with what is being taught in the, the public school um, and then modifying it all, of course. Um, but not every sport is favors a student with a visual impairment. Take a sport like volleyball, one of when uh, we get questions a lot from other teachers in the field of what do I do with a student with visual impairment um, in the volleyball curriculum. Well, it's a really difficult answer to give, and it's really specific to that student if they have any visual um, abilities or not. But a, a ball silently flying through the air is just not a pleasant thing for a student with visual impairment. 
and it can be scary for them. So how can you change these things? I mean, can you add noise? Sure, but does that mean they're going to be successful? No. Um, so what we would do then in a volleyball um, instance where we want to teach a volleying game or a net game, um, maybe we bring it down instead of uh, having the ball have to go over the net, maybe we create a net that's low and the ball has to go under the net, and that ball has sound. So it's, it's maybe not so much volleyball, but it is rolling the ball back and forth and keeping a volley going and having a specific set of rules. Um, obviously, describing to them what an actual volleyball game would be. Um, and then in isolation, you can teach the volleyball skills. You can teach how to bump the set spike, and, and you can do drills and activities that match those needs for sure. Um, but to give the flow of the game and to give um, the culture of the game the best representation, it's really difficult to, say, put that ball into the air. Um, so when it comes to those types of sports, we definitely modify them pretty drastically. When it comes to other sports, though, we, we don't modify them too drastically, like basketball. Um, we just have a set of rules that will just keep players safe. So instead of just throwing the ball up to the hoop, um, yeah, that, that can have potential dangers. The ball is going to bounce off the rim, off the backboard, and all of a sudden you have, again, a silent ball flying through the air and kids underneath the rim that it could hit. So we create um, a game where it's just like basketball, but you're trying to get it into a postman or, or somebody who is sitting inside a, a safe zone, and if that, ball, if that kid receives the ball in that area, then we'll give him a couple free shots at the hoop. Um, usually it's three free shots from you know the foul line or something, um, giving them an audio cue of where the rim is and, and allowing them the opportunity to score points for their team. But then we also have blind-specific sports, and we really try to, to maximize these, and we really spend a lot of time on blind-specific sports because these are sports that these kids can continue to do after school. Um, they can, if they're, they want, they can pursue a, a Paralympic dream of playing, say, goalball or swimming or uh, soccer, five-a-side soccer. Or so, beat baseball soon, too. Beat baseball, of course, of course. Huh. Um, and so we've we spent a lot of time with those. We do a lot of things where we, we try to play sports that are tailored to, to those specific needs. Um, yeah, beat baseball, definitely up and coming. So with our diamond, we're hoping that these kids really really enjoy it. Um, but then we match those, those activities with um, our athletic programs. So we have athletics at our school. At, with those athletics, we compete against other schools for the blind on the East Coast. Um, and after that, we, we try to infuse and get role models from the Paralympics, from USABA, um, to talk to our kids and just let them know what does it take to get to that next level? What kind of things do you have to do? Not everybody will be a Paralympic or will aspire to be a Paralympian, so then of course, we're teaching those fitness needs. What is it? What is it like to be a lifetime learner of fitness and a participant of fitness? So we get into weight rooms and access facilities in our communities and things like that to to give them the skills that they'll need to continue to be physically active throughout their lives. Very good. Awesome. That, that, it sounds fantastic, and you have really good curriculum that you're you're modifying for each one of your students well i'm gonna kind of go away now from the individualized programming uh because i feel like you you really have hit hit it good on what that looks like in your school and for a kid with visual impairments but i want to talk about something that i haven't really talked about in the show at all yet our goal in our profession 
is teach those kids those skills to stay active. And then, so I want to, and I want to talk about staying active after school and, you know, what is our role in that? You know, so my first question is, why is it so important for them to stay active? I mean, I think that's a simple question, but why, why is that so important? Yeah, well, I think um, statistics will, will kind of show that uh, uh, an adult or somebody with a visual impairment is likely to be less active and experience the health-related issues um, that are associated with inactivity. Um, and a lot of that is just because they just aren't exposed to those opportunities. And so the more exposure to opportunities that you give them, um, the more likely they are to participate later. Um, so just exposing them to a variety of different activities and letting them know that these are things that you can do after school and how and where to access these, these facilities or these opportunities. Um, and that's what we can do. I mean, we got to give them the skills so we can't just teach them maybe how to access a treadmill, but why you're doing a treadmill and setting goals for themselves on maybe heart, based on heart rate or based on time and duration or intensity. Um, we just really have to teach what is fitness all around? What does it look like? What is movement? Why do we move? Why is it important that we move? Um, and that can include somebody, um, one of our students maybe, who is blind and, and severely autistic. What does movement for them look like? What do they enjoy doing? And maybe you're not um, getting into the nitty-gritty details of heart rate and statistics with them, but you're allowing them and exposing them to a variety of different activities, such as swimming and, and um, hiking and um, you know maybe some sports like baseball, be baseball or, or soccer. Um, and just hoping that they, they enjoy these things and that they communicate with whoever they're going to be with, that they enjoy those activities so they get more opportunities for them. Very good. And, you know, you talked about making sure that all the kids have opportunities outside of school to, uh, you know, engage in, to stay fit. And, and the more opportunities they have, the more likely they're going to stay active for their lives. So how is it that you help promote, um, you know, those opportunities for them outside of school? Really, I mean, you, th you think APE is a small field, but then you get into the blindness field, the vision field, and it becomes even smaller. Um, what tends to, could work in your favor or not in your favor, depending on where you are. Luckily, we're, we're in Baltimore with a big city, um, with Washington, D.C. close to us. Um, we have the NFB very close to us, so a great uh, community for um, the blind and vision impaired to be in. And the more people you have who are blind and vision impaired, the more um, collaboration you're going to get to be active and do things. Um, it's also important to use resources out there like blind sports organizations. Um, there's a great one in, in Georgia. There's a great one out in the, in the um, Midwest and in the West and around here. Um, and then, of course, you have the United States Association of Blind Athletes, who has a wealth of, of opportunities and information. Um, so to be able to teach the kids how to access these organizations that will provide opportunities. Um, so as an example of all of this, um, USABA, the United States Association of Blind Athletes, um, helped start 
and sponsor two different goalball teams in the area, one in D.C., one in uh, Baltimore. And it's for adults. So our students are learning. They, they're, they're, one, hooked on goalball. Goalball is like our, our football season. Our kids love goalball, and they're, and they're very good at it. Um, and we, we play very competitively here and at, in the EAAB, which is the Eastern Athletic Association of the Blind, um, against other teams. And so our students are, are taking orientation mobility lessons and opportunities to learn how to get to practices that are, are going on in Baltimore City or in um, Washington, D.C. They're letting their parents know that these opportunities exist, that they want to go. So their parents are starting to take them to these sports practices that are going on. Um, and so we're thankful to have those two teams in our area and allow those kids to go. Um, the same thing will, will be with uh, B-Baseball. Um, with what you we were talking about earlier, just trying to create teams. More teams are more opportunities. And so not only um, are we working for our kids, but we're also working for our community. Um, we're working for the people who are blind or visually impaired within the Baltimore and Washington, D.C. area, on the East Coast area, just trying to create organizations and create opportunities that these kids can keep going to. Very good, yeah. And, and thank you. That, that was a very complete answer to, you know, finding those other opportunities and how do we do that and how do we bring those in. Um, and you have all those different things that you're providing in school and it translates right to out of school. So that sounds like a really good um, program that you've developed there. Yeah, there's a couple more that we try to work with, too. Um, one that we just reached out to, which is the uh, Blind Golf Association, uh, Blind Bowlers Association. Um, so just, just being able to access these, even if it's just going to their website and checking them out, um, getting in contact with one person who can then lead to another opportunity. Um, we have a, a guy come from the Blind Disc Golf Association. So we love playing disc golf at our school. I mean, these are activities that everybody can access, everybody can do. It's just simple modifications um, and maybe a buddy or a friend, which just makes it all much more fun. So um, so when you said that you contact these other organizations, like um, I believe it was, was it the Golf Association for the Blind? Mm-hmm. Um, do you contact them and send your kids out there, or do you try to bring those associations into your school? Well, really what these associations are is more of a, a resource of information. Um, for the Blind Golf Association, as an example, and, and I shouldn't speak too much on it because I've, I've just started talking to them, um, so I'm excited to learn more about them. But what I gather from it is that so you would go out golfing and you would report your scores to this association and then you're comparing your scores to other flying golfers in, in the area or mm-hmm. not even in the area, maybe even in the country. And so you're just kind of uh, creating a network of other blind golfers and, and through that network you can help motivate, you can have competition if you want yeah. or you can just you know, have a conversation on golf. That's cool. Awesome. Um, all right, so... Matt, we're going to start, you know, wrapping it up here uh, for our conversation, and I really thank you for being on here. But I have a few more questions for you real quick and just a little bit broader questions. And, you know, being an adapted physical education teacher, um, as I was talking about earlier, it's a small field, and it's not always all too well recognized sometimes. Um, And that might be different in an isolated school like a school for the blind. 
Um, but what are some of the biggest obstacle, obstacles for you or that you see for APE teachers in the field? Um, one of the biggest obstacles, I think, is that not only are you trying to reach the student, but you're also trying to reach everybody who works with the student. So it's going to take a community of people to help motivate and keep these, these kids active. Um, so my, my thought is like the paraeducators. Um, not only do you need your student to be able to do some of these things, but you also need the paraeducator to, to be there with them and doing it with them as well, um, which takes a little bit of motivation and encouragement. And within a school, especially at like our School for the Blind, which is a residential uh, program, we want to create an atmosphere that is an atmosphere of, of motivated movers, people who want to be physically active, who want to be healthy. Um, and, you know, it's not easy for staff to do, um, you know, working long shifts and, and doing all these things. But if they can be healthy and they can be the role models as well, because you can't just be the only role model in the school. So you have to create a community and an environment where it's all encompassing, all encouraging for your students to, to move and, and to be able to access all of the resources around them um, and to create more resources and people that you work with. Um, so that's a big challenge for us, is just wanting people to participate with us to help send the message, to help motivate and be that role model as well. I love that. I love that. I haven't heard that before, of creating the culture in the school. Um, and so what is your favorite part of your job as an APE teacher? Uh, it's just the interactions with the kids, I think. Um, I, I'm so lucky that I get such a diverse group of students, and so each student just brings a, a absolute unique charm to themselves. Um, success looks so different in so many different ways, and is surrounded all around you. Um, you just have to look for it, and you have to be able to capture that moment um, and, and uh, celebrate those successes. And so I love doing that with our students. I love um, being able to create an opportunity for them with our coworkers and with our school and then celebrate their success um, in any way possible. Yeah. Great. That's awesome. Um, so the last thing I want to end with is just, do you have, like, a best story on the job? Is there, like, a, you know, most funny time or the time you're the most happy with somebody or maybe something that really moved you? Sure, sure. So just recently, um, you know, I, I was saying that we had the new track and field and, and uh, with the baseball diamond. Um, well, we lost a whole season, a whole track season because of that. So it was just one big mud pit as they are constructing it. So our students um, were really disappointed that we weren't going to be able to have a track season. Um, so we came up with the idea to do a mud run which was so fitting because our track was just a bunch of mud. So we, we gathered a group of uh, dedicated students who really wanted to put in the hard work. Uh, we worked with Savage Race, who's an amazing company to work with, uh, and we put our kids into a six-and-a-half-mile uh, mud run race, Savage Race. And so we just thought we were going to go there and accomplish it or, or get as far as we can, and it would be for ourselves. And we thought, you know, we would, we would appreciate ourselves what we did but um, after completing the six and a half miles in about six hours, um, in every obstacle, 
just the overall experience of, of that, the impression that we um, shared with all of the participants in the race and the encouragement that we got from everybody in the race, it was just so amazing to be a part of something bigger than what our students were doing. We were part of this big race. Our students were giving back to other racers by encouraging them, inspiring them. And so uh, the Savage Race ended up filming us during the entire thing and created this amazing video and that just really captured our students' abilities, not so much their disability, um, but what our kids could do. And all of our kids were so different. We had um, students who were completely blind. We had students with some vision. Uh, we had a student who only had um, function in one half of their body. So for these kids to overcome all of these obstacles was just incredible. And then to be able to share that success, not just with ourselves, but with everybody who participated in the race was amazing, absolutely inspiring. Wow. And I would lo- love to put that video up. Um, did, you, did I share it with you? Yes, you did, but I'm gonna, I'll put it up on, I have a blog with the podcast too, so I'll make sure that both of those are up there. That is a really inspiring story, um, and I love the idea of still pushing through a track type of uh, situation, even if you just got a mud pit. Um, that is very, very inspiring, and making sure that even if the environment you know, isn't um, the best for you, you're still going about it and figuring it out, because that's what you got to do in AP. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it was important, you know, I kept telling our kids and the administration that this is what fitness looks like these days. This is how adults access uh, fitness. It's a challenge. I mean, there's that's what it looks like. It just looks like a mud truck or something or a marathon. So it was fun to be able to participate in that big event. Was that a difficult uh, conversation to have with parents or administrators? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. It just seemed great until those liability forms came in, and they had to sign that. That pretty much waived all liability of, of if death or anything like that. So we had to convince that we would we would do our best to keep everybody safe, and even when we're scaling twenty feet in the air and having to jump into a, a pile of mud. <laughs> <laughs> wow! How many kids did you have? We uh, we took seven students. Okay. So great. That's uh that is something to aspire to right there. That's that's fantastic. Um, well, Matt, you know, thank you so, so much for coming and joining us on our, uh, our show. We're really, really happy to have you, and I think that you gave us a lot of really good information on individualized planning and on, you know, staying active after school. And the mud run thing, that just blows me away. So, um, you know, thank you so much, and... As far as our listeners go, you know, keep uh, sending me some emails on any topics or ideas that you have. So thank you so much for listening, everyone. And I'm really, really excited that the show is still rolling out. And we'll see you very, very soon. So this is us signing off. Thanks a lot, Matt. No problem. Thank you, Scott. All right. And have a great day, everyone.